Okay, we're going to be back in Mark. Uh, we've been going through this as a church, and uh, we're in Mark 9 today, starting in verse 30. And uh, we'll be kind of jumping through a number of texts um, today, but uh, Mark 9, starting in verse 30. All right, it says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand uh, the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Um, I'm going to pray one more time. A lot of good prayer here. I'm going to pray for myself, pray for us for us to receive this word this morning. God, we just invite you. We ask for your, your presence here. We ask for your spirit to uh, illuminate the eyes of our heart, Lord, the eyes of our mind to, to receive this word, to let us get to know your son, Jesus Christ, more. So God, we want to draw near to you, and Lord, we pray you draw near to us right now. Pray for our church. I pray for this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Um, we have here um, an interesting I guess, a moment in time with the disciples. Um, if you've been following through with us in, in Mark chapter 9, there's been a, a, a number of events that have gone down that have been quite amazing. Um, at the beginning of Mark 9, we have um, this, what was called the transfiguration, where Jesus was uh, transfigured into all his glory. He became bleached white, and he was in the presence of Moses and Elijah, and his father was speaking to him. This, this amazing, insanely... Um, epic moment in Jesus' history goes down, and, and a few, three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, were there to witness this. Um, and then coming down off that mountain, off that event, they come into um, the disciples dealing with the, with the boy who's possessed, and none of them were able to exercise this, this demon that was possessing this boy. Um, and they were just, they were lost. They didn't know what to do, and they turned to Jesus, and Jesus performs this amazing miracle and exercises this demon. And then from there, now we have this journey where we pick it up. They're walking to Capernaum. And if you, you know, in this day, they, that, that didn't take 10 minutes. That was uh, possibly a day. I don't um, know exactly how long this journey was, but this would take time. So conversation came up, and a peculiar conversation uh, in talking about who is the greatest among us. Now, one way you can look at this is some um, theologians in studying this have received this as just a stupid conversation. You just watch Jesus transfigured on a mountain in all that glory, and then you watched him perform a miracle that nobody else could, could do. And then the disciples are saying, hey, which one of us is the greatest? And then they begin to argue. It's like, are you serious right now? You know, it's just, you look at it that light, and you're just like, man, the, the disciples just aren't so impressive, you know, at certain times. And, uh, but but no, that's, that's one perspective. Um, I, I want to try to give disciples a little bit more credit, okay? Um, and another way to look at this is the disciples are responding to the greatness that they've seen in Christ. They're responding to his greatness and saying, what does that look like for us? And they begin to talk about it and work through this. And what does greatness look like for us, the followers of this great one? Because isn't it true that we are always being affected by different people who are great in our lives. I mean, we're always taking something or maybe being inspired by something. And it might not just be people. Do you ever feel that, that inspiration when you stand, I, I don't know, on a mountain or uh, at the edge of a sea, and you just, you just witness, like, wow, that's, that's big. That's great. And there's, it does something to your soul that starts to stir right? You start to feel something that like, I want to I be part of this greatness. I want to be a part. I'm, I'm, I'm 
feeling something right at this moment that's, that's challenging me, that's refining me, that's spurring me on. Sometimes you'll just see figures. You hear about someone's story in their life. You hear about something great that had happened to them, and it inspires you to want to live that same story, that same life, right? Now, I think that's more so what's going on here than just a, mis- a confused conversation among the disciples. I, I want to give them a little bit more credit, okay? And, and th- what is going on, they're aspiring to be like their maker. And it's woven into every single one of us to pursue greatness. The interesting thing about this whole passage I just read, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of work through it here in a moment, but the interesting thing is that God doesn't actually, that Jesus doesn't actually rebuke the disciples for talking about this. He doesn't actually condemn them and say, no, 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 we're not, you're not great, I'm great, let's talk about me. He doesn't go that direction. And instead, Jesus is kind of gearing this conversation. He sees a confusion among them, and he's working to redeem it, working to clarify it. Now, get this. You all feel this. I want to just read you a passage out of Romans, Romans 8. Romans 8 says this, starting in verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And I love this passage because Paul is in this great passage in Romans 8. Love this chapter, death. It's, he, he takes this moment and kind of identifies. He's giving all this great truth and doctrine and, and, and teaching them. But then he comes down to the, where they're at at this moment and says, I know what it feels like to feel the weight of your life. To feel the weight of, of, of not fully being who you were made to be. Okay? Like, I feel this myself personally with my, my own body. I mean, I deal with a number of um, different diseases, and, and uh, it's been a, been a road for sure. But there's this, I think that one thing that continually I see and feel when I, when, I, I, when I see the doctor and hear an update or whatever is I'm just reminded, man, this can't be it. Like, this, this can't be all that God has in store for us. And there becomes this longing in me saying, God, I want you to make this thing, this my body, right. I mean, we may feel this in our families. You know, you feel the disjointedness. You feel the tension. I mean, for some people, Father's Day is, a, is a kind of a painful day, right? And, and you're just like, I don't want to celebrate this. And you feel that all of a sudden, my family, is this really what God has in store for my family? Or maybe is there something greater? And I feel that like Paul is tapping in right here, saying, I understand you. And then he goes deeper, and he says, not only all creation feels this groaning, but you who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Christians, the believers in Christ, feel this, and they say, our redemption isn't found in ourselves or in something that we do, but it's found in Jesus. The redemption is something that comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we have that hope. And he goes on to talk about that hope in Romans 8. But when we talk about, uh, you know, this, this idea of greatness and what does that mean for us, I mean, consider your creation. Let me just read, read a verse for you. This is in Psalm 139. If you want to go there, feel free. Psalm 139. I'm just reading all my favorite verses for you this morning. But uh, I love this verse. It just always speaks to me. I'm starting in verse 13. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. I love this text. I mean, Paul, uh, not Paul, David is, is writing this down and, and sharing this with us. This, when he starts to wrap his mind around the immense thoughts and greatnesses and the, the, the ideas that, that God has in him, just for him, in his creation, it just blows his mind. And he becomes, becomes, starts to worship. I mean, he even goes as far as to say that God 
is, is forming our unformed substance. You know what that is? That's it. He, he's trying to wrap his mind around that God is creating personalities and character traits and quarks in people. He's, he's so involved in every step of who you are. And, and David says, man, this is wonderful. What, how wonderful are your thoughts of me, God? How wonderful is it that you would think of me that specifically in my creation? So it is important for us as people to realize that God is not suppressing us and saying, no, you're not going to be great. You're just human beings. Remember that. Though we are, I believe that what God is going to give us in this word is that he's created us in his image to live lives that are supernatural, live lives that are beyond humanity, right? It's where we're going. It's where things are headed. And it's just part of adopting and starting to live in that kingdom now is to say that's not just something to come, but it's something Jesus is going to begin to implement in the disciples' life as he teaches them that, that discipleship comes with learning about the, the honor and the greatness that God has given his disciples I mean, he's not performing miracles just to show off, but it's doing something to the disciples, spurring them on to live a greater life. They want it. They're longing for it. And at this point, they're having this conversation, what does this look like for us? What, is it, what does it look like for me to live a life that's great? I mean, finally, when we think about creation, think of Ephesians 2, the end of, uh, I think, verse 10, Paul says, we are his workmanship created in Christ. That, that word workmanship could go hand in hand with poetry or song. It's just so God is, God is doing so much. He's almost writing this song, writing this poem, and, and, and creating us. So please, please just own this. To realize you're not just, uh, you're not just random. Okay, what James said, uh, last week I was in um, Malaysia shooting, shooting a wedding. It was quite a privilege. And... We were touring around the day before, and we pulled up to this waterfall, and there's monkeys everywhere. And this girl that we were traveling with, um, she was like, wow, isn't that crazy that we came from that? And this monkey was like eating Funyuns, you know, just in the dirt. And I was like, and my, my business partner was like, you know, I, I just want to have a little bit more respect for myself than that. And I was like, amen. And I was just like, couldn't, it's just like, really? Let's, let's have a little bit more respect and dignity for ourselves, because God does, Okay. Because God sees us as his workmanship. We're not just some, we're not monkeys. Amen. Amen to that. We all agree. Okay. So, it's just funny when you think of it like that. Seeing a monkey, I'm like, no way. I'm not. No, that's not me. Okay. I hope not. You're like, I don't know, man. Okay. God's greatness. Now, this is a topic where the disciples are are working through this topic and dis discussing it. And then when Jesus turns to them and says, what, what are you guys talking about? And they're, they're ashamed. They're, they're embarrassed by what Jesus had to say. Um, and what, we don't know exactly that conversation. But what I'd like to do, I'd like to kind of take a few moments and, and talk about a few ways that I feel that we, conf we confuse greatness, that we, we, we pervert it or muddle it up, where it doesn't actually align with the greatness that Jesus is, is going to show us here. Um, and so I wrote down five different ways um, that I, I see this, that I see this happening in our lives, I see it in the Bible. Um, and the first is this, is that we pursue greatness, we use people to pursue greatness. We, we become good at this. We became starting to use people as leverage for our own greatness. You ever feel this, where you, you feel when you're around a certain person that you feel a little bit better about yourself. And when you're around other types of people, it kind of you want to distance yourself because they look, they make you look a certain way. If we're honest, yes. Uh, you know, we, 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 we tend to use people in order to further our name. Now, uh, I think that I, I know for sure that there were different uh, characters throughout Jesus' story that were using him as leverage. I want to see a miracle. I want to see a sign, Right? But I'm not sure exactly how much the disciples dealt with this, but it's clear that I see this all around myself in my own industry. You know, I, I have a business, and, and uh, it's just, boy, in my industry of photography and, and movie making, it's, it's clear that, man, people are constantly using each other to further their name, further their image, associating with certain types of people. And I don't think it's just my, 
uh, industry of work. I think that it's common among us to just almost jump off people. And so what's interesting about the story is, is when Jesus starts to try to, to give the disciples a tangible picture of what great, the right and true kind of greatness looks like, he invites this little child. And, and man, I'm watching this, this dedication. I just was like, ah, that's it. I mean, James is just like the baby. And oh, it was just like a cool picture that like that using this little child, I mean, you're not going to use this child to further your greatness and prestige and talent. Okay, like another example. I'm not going to show up on a job with a bunch of toddlers from the children's ministry and give them a bunch of cameras. That doesn't look very um, professional to my clients, okay? In, in the same way that J- Jesus goes the opposite direction, instead of identifying with the highest Caesar or whoever else um, was in power at that time, he invites this little child. And in, Jewish, in the Jewish Talmud, um, there was actually writers that, and commenting about what laziness looked like, uh, they would say it would be to, to, to do a number of things, and one of those things was to spend time with children was considered a waste of your day. So in the, 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 the Jewish culture, that was something the women would take care of, and the men would, would occupy themselves with great things, with things that actually mattered. But Jesus goes the other way and inviting this child into his arms. Pretty cool. Um, so using, using people for greatness. Next one. Um, comparative greatness. This meaning that we are taking people around us and, 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 and doing this. Well, at least I'm not like that guy. At least, at least I'm not dealing with what they're dealing with. And you feel a little bit better about yourself, right? We, we take people that we know are, are, are struggling more than us. And we just end up using them as a way to further and make ourselves feel a little bit more esteemed. Um, it, this is all around us. Just, I mean, it, 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 gets, it gets terrible. I've even heard people say, well, at least I'm not like Hitler. Like, whoa, congratulations. You didn't murder millions. You know, that makes you a little bit better. You know, but as, as drastic as that may be, we find it's easy to take people and not even knowingly and maybe not even verbally saying it in your mind. You're standing in line in bonds, and you're like, soy milk? Really? Hippie? You know? It's like, here's my whole 2%. I like it thick and chunky. And you just, you, you might feel as, you know, I'm a little bit better. I drink almond milk, but... Don't worry about it. That's just, that's just me. I, just an example how we can subtly use, compare ourselves to people in a way where we get off track and we're pursuing a false greatness. Now, let me ask you this. How many times, how, how long does that last for you? How long do you feel good about yourself until you have to use one more person and you have to use one more person? And pretty soon, you're constantly recycling people to, to, to think better of yourself. And you know what? You're the only one convinced. You're all alone. Now, there's hope. Don't worry. John, some of our disciples, we see John and Peter kind of deal with this. It's a, quite an interesting way that the gospel of John is ended. In John um, chapter 22, listen to, just listen to this little story here. John 22, um, 22? Yeah, 21, sorry. Jesus is resurrected. Um, he's walking with disciples. They're having conversations, many more than, than we know of. And um, this, this comes up. This is how this gospel ends. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. And the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and had said, Lord, who is this that's going to betray you? And so um, Peter is noticing John. This is the beloved disciple, um, oftentimes mentioned um, as that. Um, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Man, I don't know why. I just, I just love this little story. This, this gospel kind of ends with this really weird twist. And uh, it, it ends with this Peter noticing John and, and wondering, wondering, like, okay, what? What's, what's up with John's story? What's going on here? And he says to Jesus, you know, what about, what about John? And then Jesus turns to him, what is he to you? You follow me. 
And, and the reason I love this is because Jesus is speaking in a way where he's saying, it does not matter what my calling is on John to you. You have a different calling than John does. And this is so important for us as Christians to get a grip on this in our lives, that God has different callings for all different people, right? That, that not everyone is supposed to be here teaching, right? And, and if, it, if you just look at a, a, a place of what you consider authority, Believe me, and you're just going to be let down, and you're going to be burdened, and it's going to stress you out because you're going against God's calling on your life. It's so important for us to, to stop and ask God, and what do you want from me, God? I mean, I feel like this is just preaching to myself because, man, I've learned this. Gosh, for, there was a day when I um, was uh, firefighting, and uh, it was just really the direction I wanted to go with my life, and felt, man, this is it. This is what, what God is calling me to do. And, and uh, I, I would do this. i say, here you go, God. I want to be a firefighter. Can you bless it? And then sprinkle your little pixie dust on it for me. And here we go. And that became the pattern of my life for, for several years. Of just constantly saying, God, this is what I want. No, I'm bringing it to you. At least that, right? Bless it. And then through, uh, I don't know what year it was, 2004 or 2003 or something like that, um, I ended up, after coming off this crew, come down the mountain, getting geared up for the next season, very much planned out my life, um, I was diagnosed with a disease. And um, it, just, it just crushed me. And I was just, you know, wait, what? No. God, remember my plans? Remember what I, I have planned here? I'm committing it to you. And a roommate of mine, he, uh, he, I remember him asking me, he said, he said, Ben, did you ever ask God if that's what he wanted you to do? And I was just like, Man, I hate you. And it just, it was just one of those moments where you're like, ah. Oh. I mean, so, something so simple, but I had never actually asked God what his calling, what he, just what he wanted me to do, right? I was just always on this track of saying, here you go, here you go, here you go. And man, God did put this in my life. And you know what? At, at, more than anything, the, the health issues that I, real, that I deal with have uh, reminded me that, man, God is good to, to change our direction, even if it hurts a little, right? Even if it just, just, even if it just a little, throws you off a little bit and it's not your plan, man, God's plan is so good. You know, and I, and I still wrestle. I'm not here saying I'm completely, completely cured. You know, look at me, you know. You could, uh, no, man, I mean, I'm still wrestling. But, man, in, in the ironic way that God works, he ended up uh, giving me a passion for photography and movie making, and my eyes are good enough to make it work. So I thank God for that. And I thank God that, that his calling for me was different than what I thought my calling was. I love this story with John. What is he to you? You follow me. So comparing our callings, comparing ourselves with other people, man, let's, let's, let's turn it a different way. Let's learn from one another. Let's be inspired by one another. Spur each other on like Paul says to Timothy in his letter, fan into flame, Timothy, the gift given to you by the laying on of hands. Wow. That means take this little flame and blow it up. Make it more than what you think it is. And that word was for Timothy. He's taking something that God gave him and, and, and be encouraging him and learn, learn from me. Paul would also say in Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul's not the answer. It's very clear he's a man. Very clear he's inadequate. He says that to us many times. He's slow of speech, all these things that he has problems with. But he says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So instead of comparing, let us learn from one another. Amen? Let us be a church that's not here uh, comparing to one demographic to another, the college kids, the young families, the elderly I mean, come on, let, let's, look, let's let this work as God intended it. That coming from different places, coming with different gifts, we use our gifts to pour into each other's lives, to bless one another, to, to use them in a way that's, that we learn and we're built up as a one body instead of a bunch of diff, little parts doing their own thing. Desire that for our church. I think we've got a long way to go with that, but it's good. It's healthy for us to grow in this. Comparative greatness. Okay. 
this title doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know why I said this, but um, greatness through littleness. I think oftentimes, um, for some reason, when we look at a text like this, we start to, like, okay, children, God wants me to identify with children. Um, maybe this just means becoming, becoming nothing to the point where I just need to lay down and um, it just, just pull away, pull out of the limelight, get, get in a, a place where, where I'm just not noticed. And I feel like we oftentimes equate humbleness with weakness, right? I think uh, I do. Uh, we oftentimes equate that this, this idea of humility as being just nothing, okay? Now, get this. I, I want to I read this for you. This is, this is a, a, the, the story that I just read is actually mentioned in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, so this is a, a version, just something added that Matthew mentions. I think it's good for us to take in. Matthew says this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, so what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, I want you to identify with children, not to become childish, but to become childlike. Now, this may be just a little bit, okay, where, how does this line up with what God is, 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 is giving us in the word to grow up in our faith, to become mature? Um, that could come from Ephesians 4. Listen to this. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So what, the way that we reconcile this, becoming childlike, becoming mature, growing in our faith, is, is I think this. Jesus is using this, this child, not as a beca- to tell people to say, I want you to be a bunch of children. So some of your parents are like, are you seriously? You want me to become like my child? They're little demons. No way. I'm not doing that. But, but what I think Jesus is doing, he's saying, I want you to adopt the humility and the, the, the openness and the receptiveness of a child. I want you to pair that with your growth and your maturity in Christ, but you never get ahead of yourself. You always remember the child is someone vulnerable, someone weak, that's invited into the arms of Christ. Whenever we grow out of that and become proud, oh, I'm not going to sit on Jesus' lap, I feel like we're, we're missing the point. We're forgetting our roots, where, where, where God invites us in. We'll talk more about this, but yeah. Um, there's much to say here. I, I feel this. Um, a lot of times we can use this, this pursuit of humility and littleness and, and become somewhat of a, a, a weak, thought of as weak people and lay down. And we do this. We t- sometimes we'll treat the church as a place, as like a haven to protect us from the world. We treat the church like some place that we go and we separate ourselves from all the sin that's out there. And this is, the, this is the problem with that, is what Jesus says. Jesus tells Peter, when he's establishing his church, he says, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Wow. And at that time, Jesus was standing in a place at a pagan temple upon this rocky surface and saying, we're going to set down right here, right where it's corrupted, right where child sacrifice happens, and we're going to do church right here. The, the church is something. This is not a place to hide, okay? You're, you're not doing yourself any good if you're just trying to not sin by showing up on Sunday, okay? The church is a place where we get equipped, where we grow, encourage one another in our faith. Uh, get this. I was, uh, Sharon, I was so, so random. I was in Malaysia last week. I can't believe it. Um, we, we had the, the great privilege of uh, flying over there and filming this wedding, and it was just an amazing experience. This, this um, couple, they were Malaysian, and, and they had this Malay wedding. It's all this new, um, these new things I'm just unfamiliar with, and um, after the fact, you know, we spent all this time, flew in on Tuesday, and I had like two days with them before having to get back, and uh, we, we shot their wedding, and, and then after the wedding, I mean, they were just so stoked and so thankful we were there, and we were just honored, and they're like, would you just come out with us and enjoy some time, and like, yeah, I mean, we're leaving in the morning, like, why not, I, look at this, I'd love to hang out with my Muslim friends, and 
So we, we jump in the car, and we drive downtown, and, and uh, we they pull into this bar, restaurant on the beach, and we're sitting there, and I was just like, it just hit me as I'm sitting on this little mat in the sand and having a drink with this guy named Kuda and his wife, Illy, and, and it just hit me like, wow, God, I mean, has brought me all the way here and put me in this random country, and I get to sit down and get to know this Muslim guy. I was like, this is crazy. And it just was like this, I was like, this is definitely not my scene, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, let's all go and find a saloon and just camp out and see what happens. I, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying God had opened the door for me to spend some time with this guy. And it was just eye-opening to me. I mean, a lot of other random stuff happened. It was just some guy from the UK who's like wanted a picture with my mustache. And I'm like, what about me, man? What are you going to use me like that? And, and, and uh, you know, and then he, he was like, oh, I want to introduce you to all these girls. And I was like, no, it's, it's cool, brother. I'm married. And he's like, well, you'll just eat from one item on the menu? And I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, I eat steak every day. Love you, baby. <laughs> so... It's, it's just, uh, I was just, like, happy to say that. And, like, he just doesn't get it. And I was like, you know what? I kind of like being in a place where it's just kind of weird and twisted. I mean, I, I love you, and, um, but I'm glad I don't hang out with Christians all the time. I'm glad that my business has allowed me to spend a lot of time with people that don't know Christ, even Muslims. I mean, wow. Thank you, God. I mean, I just feel that the Lord had an open the door for me to be in a place. I want to be purposeful in that. And I want to just challenge you. Just what are the places, man, that God's putting you so that you might just be purposeful and be light? Now, I'm not saying like, and I, by the end of the night, I had him on his knees and praying, praying with me. That didn't happen. But I trust that God planted seed. And I believe that my purpose for being in Malaysia was more than just to film a wedding. Amen. I hope so. Because that can't be the, just my, the pursuit of my life. I mean, just getting the job done. This is more. And I was talking with a friend right after the last service, and we're talking about being purposeful with the kingdom. And it's like, I want to be purposeful with this much of the kingdom. Then I can be purposeful or this much with my business. Then I can spend all the more with the kingdom. What if being purposeful with the kingdom was business, ministry, family, life, our pleasures, our hobbies, our intimacy? What if everything was purposeful? For the kingdom, instead of segmenting it and saying, this is God time, my time, work. You know, you know what I'm saying? I just feel like there's more for us to open up to um, in, in, in living in this kingdom of God. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if we go back to the garden to understand this, this, uh, this pursuit of greatness, we see it very clearly with Eve, right? We see Eve buying in to this idea to become like God. Pursue greatness. Pursue something more. She wants it. The good, it's a good desire in her, but Satan is twisting it at this point, tempting her. Now, what I want you to notice, though, I mean, what is Adam doing at this point? Nothing. He's just there. He's doing nothing. He's simply letting his wife be tempted and, and confused and, and pulled away from the plan of God. And what does he do? He runs. And I feel like it's easy for, for some, some of us to just say, oh, I just don't want to speak. I don't want to be offensive. And let me just say this. Maybe humility is using your words as agents of, of protection and change and speaking them like Paul says, truth and love. What would it look like if, if Adam was to speak up and intervene at that point? Man, I think this is a word for definitely for the men in here to, to Treat, to see that true humility is not lording over women or anyone else or children, but it's coming in and being agents of, of change in their life, of doing something with your words that brings protection in life. Amen? Yeah, I, I just think that just, we see it so clearly there in the garden. Um, here we go. Known greatness. This isn't desire to be great, but it's more so the desire to be known as great. It's, it's, it's pursuing, uh, boy, we, we have so many weird ways to do this, with Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, I don't know, whatever you're using, there's Tumblrs, and uh, it, there's all these ways to further our image of greatness, but at the end of the day, it's not great. And you know why? 
Because you're still, you're still trying. It's never enough, right? I mean, I've noticed this with my own business, that the more that I pour in to furthering our image and branding and all that that goes into that, uh, I never quite feel satisfied. I never quite feel like that's enough. I'm always looking at what somebody else is doing and looking at their perceived greatness and saying, yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice to be where they're at. And so this is, the, this is the challenge that we deal with, is that we strive as people, especially in our culture today, to be known as great. Um, we see this, I mean, it's not just today. Um, we see this with the, the Pharisees. Let me read you this. This is Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. Before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Wow. It just, and that's it's just really it. Is that if that's what you're pursuing, you just want to be known? You want to be known as great? Well, you've already won. You've already got what you're going to get. How are you doing? Does it feel good? Does it feel like enough? I mean, I think we just got to look at ourselves and realize Man, we're never going to feel that satisfaction of desiring that. Um, and, and Jesus makes it very clear. Their reward is already given to them. They have nothing left in the kingdom of God. Paul makes a, a great comment um, in Corinthians 4, 5. It says this, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. So this is, man, it's a frightening passage, right? We should, we, that Paul's telling us, don't pronounce who's great. Don't pronounce judgment on someone's life, whether it be good or bad. Because one day, God will disclose the purposes of the heart. <laughs> that's freaky. That's, that's a scary thought. That God's going to lay our hearts open and say, this was the motive. This is where you're coming from. And I just think it's a good check for us to ask, what are we investing our hearts in? What do we invest our greatness in? Yeah, so many things here. Um, Last one, quantitative greatness, meaning that you measure your greatness by how much you have or how much you don't have. You might think, oh, I'm very great because I'm very just slim with my money and I'm, I'm very frugal and, and, and that's what's righteous before God and you shun the people that have a lot of stuff and then the people that have a lot of stuff are just on the other end of the spectrum with the same heart. They're measuring their greatness by, by how much little, how little they have or how much they have. And quantitative greatness is something that where the disciples, I think, were, were aiming for this. They're seeing the greatness of God and his transfiguration and his miracles, and they're like, oh, we want more. We want that in our lives, which is good and awesome. But man, go back to this picture that God gives us. He invites this little child to come to him, and he embraces him in his arm. And he says, and and this little child, this would be considered nothing, something that's not great. Now, there's there's a verse here, I think, that really helps us understand what is this, what does it look like to, um, to receive this greatness. And, and Mark 10, if I could just fast forward just a bit in the book of Mark, Mark 10 says this, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And one of my favorite verses, I just love this verse. It was wrote it on my chalkboard at home. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I, I don't know why I like that. Jesus maybe is calling everybody a little flock. It kind of seems funny to me. Uh, fear not, little flock. But it's just this, this idea that when we look at these two different passages, that our God is a God that's gifts. Right? He's a God who's saying, I'm going to give into your life. And so when the disciples are, 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 are trying to discern what greatness is, we have them with whatever they were thinking, and then we have, we have this little child. And Jesus had already said, you know, becoming like this little child, and okay, what does that mean? And then Jesus says this, and he gets into the heart of this issue. 
and says, unless you receive the kingdom like this child, you cannot enter. So the kingdom is not something I'm working for and doing a lot to strive after, but it's really the question of who can receive the most. Jesus says, ask and you will receive and your joy will be made complete. That's John 16. I mean, we see this, this pattern come up, and I feel like a lot of times as Christians, we just fail to, man, to, in, to be that child and come into the arms of Christ and just receive him. Man, if there's one word I can give to fathers today, I'm not a father, I have so much respect for you, being a son, um, but, but one thing we take from this text is Jesus, Jesus is giving this child himself giving them his embrace. And he goes on in Mark and says, if you want to receive, you receive this child in my name, you receive me. You want to receive Christ, gentlemen, fathers? You want to grow in that? Receive little children. Receive, and that, this is a reason why our church is so much about children's ministry and youth ministry. It's because we have this opportunity to be Christ and give children Christ by opening our arms to them and giving them the love of Christ. The greatest thing you can do for your children is give them Christ. Give them Christ. Just the best thing. I love it. And I think Jesus exemplifies it perfectly for us um, in this text. I'm like dying of thirst here. Hold on. Okay. Um, let's keep going here. Um, okay, I think, okay, the, this idea, we, we skipped a, a part of this, ch- this chapter, and I really believe that the, the best way to read through the Bible is to read it in context, and this is what I mean by that, is, is not, we have a tendency to just kind of pick and choose different verses that we like, and maybe just post them up and say, yeah, this is good, I love this, I identify with this, but sometimes what happens is we fail to Take in the fullness of a text. Take in the full context, the full story of a text that's building around it. Uh, it's just so prevalent in our day that we, we like to, um, authors and great writers and great uh, people that we esteem as great leaders are so good at this, of neglecting and just taking verses as little candy canes, little pieces of sugar, and giving them to people. But at the end of the day, it does not satisfy. I pray that as our church grows that we have a taste for more than just candy and little bits and nibbles here and there. Man, let us eat. Let's eat the word of God, the full bread and meal that God has in store for us. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? I believe, and I firmly believe, that all scripture is God-breathed and given for reproof for correction, for the building up, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when we, okay, and this is where I, this is the story, I'm, I'm ashamed to share this, but I've shared it with my youth, and I think it makes sense. When I was, when I was young, um, I used to watch this show from the 80s uh, called My Little Pony, okay? And uh, just before you start pointing fingers and marching up here. Just, just listen. Uh, I, I would I'd watch the show with my cousins. I'm sure my mom remembers this. And, and uh, th- there was this, you know, I don't know why I loved it, but I did. And uh, it's just a happy show, okay? And we would watch the show, and then there were these scenes where all of a sudden things would just get grim and get dark, and, and this, the dragon would enter. And I remember just running and hiding behind a couch or just scramming with my cousins and I think they were girls, but I don't know. We're probably guys. <laughs> uh, but we would run, and, and, it, and it, wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like, stay with me. I will keep you safe. You know, like, you're all right. You know, it, it wasn't that. I was afraid with them. And, you know, if you would ask me uh, about, you know, whatever episode that was, um, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, all I can tell you is, is it was really good and sunny, and there were rainbows and stars and whatever else, ponies. And, and then we, we, didn't, we don't know. And I think we do this with God's word. I'm sorry. Uh, but we, we do this, Lord, have mercy. And we do do this. And we pick and choose scriptures that we want to take in. But in effect, 
we're only getting part of the story. We, we, or, we do this especially with the Old Testament. Oh, that was the God of the Bible. Those are his early years where he was just a little, you know, he was figuring things out with humanity. Really? I mean, do we, do we enjoy the Old Testament, Leviticus, in the same way that you enjoy the New Testament? I hope so, because David says himself, your words are like honey on my lips. That's the Old Testament he's talking about there. Isn't it interesting that he's like, this actually tastes good to me. So let's just do this. Let's invite God to give us his full counsel. Give us his full counsel. And this is why I mentioned this. The beginning part of, of Mark, Mark 30, I'm sorry, Mark 9.30. Let me read this to you again. They went on from there and passed through Galilee and did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they, were, they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. I believe that Jesus, before even getting on the road, gives this sweet word to his disciples, this prophecy about what he's going to do. The second time he's mentioned this, he gives this to them as they enter into this question of who's great, of what greatness is. And as Jesus goes forward and invites this child to sit in his lap, to embrace him, he's giving them this picture that unless you become like little children and let these little ones come and, and, and come to me, you cannot receive me. Because what this is mentioning here, the son of Ben is an illusion that comes from, or a, a, and a title that comes from actually Daniel 7. It's the most common name that Jesus gives himself. It's his favorite nickname, you might say. And the son of man, and what it means, it's the lowest of men. Saying the lowest of all humanity is I'm going to make myself the lowest, come into your world, and show you the true greatness is actually going to die for you. That the greatest of the king, uh, the, the king himself, is actually going to make himself nothing in order that you might become something, that you might become more than what you are right now. And I think Jesus says this in Mark. It says, the, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. This prophecy right here is this beautiful picture that Jesus himself becomes that servant of all. He completes in this question of greatness, I'm the greatest. I'm the one giving you my greatness. Wait, how? What do you mean by that, Ben? How has he given us his greatness? I have a verse. I love this verse. Roll back to Romans 8. You're like, is that all you read? Yeah, it is. No, it's okay. Romans 8. If I could just find it. Here we go. Thank you for your patience. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear... But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. What Paul's saying here, he's saying, Jesus did not just die for your sins. If that's, all, that's where you stop, there's more. Don't, don't stop. Jesus not only paid for your salvation with his blood, purchasing you on the cross, giving himself to you, but he went farther. He says, through the Spirit who confirms in our heart, does this work of reminding us that we are heirs with Christ. We are royalty with Christ himself. His work on the cross has brought us into this family to become more than just human. We become part of the family of God. And I, it, just, it gives this word, adoption. We get this word out of the Bible. And I love this because there was this, uh, there was this woman who was in her teens in high school, and um, she got pregnant, and um, just it's through, through just the, the intensity of that situation, she was planning and going toward and having an abortion. And um, a friend of hers uh, reached in her life and just said, you know, um, 
would you just talk to my youth pastor and um, maybe, you know, I don't know. I just want you to talk to him before you go forward with this. And so she decided, and, and okay, I'll do it, and went and talked to this youth pastor, some guy in Southern California, who knows who, and sat down with him. And this, this guy just kind of opened the scripture with, with her and showed her that, man, her baby was actually created by God, even created in the womb. It had an identity. And how even John the Baptist, before he came out, it said that he was a spirit dwelled within him. It's fascinating. All this scripture showing the worth and the value of the child in the womb. And, and so this girl decided to, 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 to save her baby, decided to give birth to her and put that baby up for adoption. Her baby was adopted, grew up in Southern California, ended up uh, an earthquake, crushed this, this family's home, and they ended up moving up to the Central Coast. And, um, and, and that child actually is my business partner. And it just, when I, when I think about adoption and think about how beautiful it is, it's, it's God reaching into a life before it's born and saying, you're mine. I'm going to call you into my lap, embrace you in my arms. You who are not recognized, who aren't noticed, who have nothing to give me, you have the most to receive because you have nothing. You're, the kingdom is yours because, because I'm a gracious king, and I love to give to my children. So my business partner, Drew, man, I love him. I love him dearly, and uh, he loves the Lord and is super gifted. But, man, when I see him, it just reminds me of the beauty of adoption, especially in the Bible. There's so much there to the goodness and calling of God on people's lives. And he's an example of that to me. He was a nobody. He was going to be aborted. And adoption saved him and gave him more, gave him family. And I pray, if anything, that when we look and strive after greatness, let's look to Jesus and let's look to this child saying, the greatest of the kingdom is the one who receives the greatest. And let's receive Christ this morning. Let me pray for you. Yeah, Lord, we just, boy, God, I just thank you for this church, this opportunity to open the Bible and get to know the heart of our King, Jesus. God, I thank you for your grace toward us. I thank you for your love toward us. I thank you for adopting us into your family. And God, I pray for anyone in this room that does not know you, that isn't part of your family. God, I pray that you would just grab a hold of their hearts right now, Lord. We pray you stir in them, that you call them into your lap. And Lord, I pray for the men in this room especially, if there's any men here just putting that wall up, maybe in the name of masculinity, in the name of pride, or they got it together, God, I pray that you would break down in order that they might taste and see how good you are, that their king loves them. Thank you, God, for pursuing us. Thank you, God, for calling us into your lap. We just want to rejoice in that. We want to praise you right now, God. We pray in all these things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.